0: Hey everybody, Scott Trench here, host, guest, I don't know what I am today of the bigger pockets money podcast. So excited to share this episode that I actually recorded with our friend Nicole Lapin of money rehab on her podcast. Um, you can go check that out on her feed. Um, but if you're interested in listening here, this is just, uh, basically me and Nicole riffing on real estate investing and the housing market for the next half hour. And I think, uh, hopefully there's some valuable nuggets in there. Um, a lot of stuff about first time home buying, a lot of stuff about the, practical challenges of getting into real estate investing. And I just had a great time and wanted to share it here on the Bigger Pockets Money podcast feed um, for those who are interested and, and maybe didn't, miss, didn't see it. This show is sponsored by Airbnb. Did you know that I
1: turned one of my first homes into an Airbnb? It's true. And it even helped me get the extra income I needed to launch my real estate career. So if you want to try your hand at making even more income with your property, Airbnb is the place to be. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much
0: at airbnb.com slash host. When it comes to financial guidance, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When Mindy and I want to upgrade our wallets, we turn to NerdWallet.
2: Scott's right
0: Help you make it happen with a killer travel card.
2: Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com.
0: NerdWallet, finance smarter.
2: As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval, and terms of each credit card issuer apply. Deciding how to invest your capital can be extremely challenging, especially when the market is constantly changing. That's why it's never been more important to partner with a company that has a great track record. The BAM Capital executive team has successfully navigated through the Great Recession, COVID-19, and the current interest rate environment while delivering maximized returns to their partners. BAM Capital is a trusted multifamily syndicator with over $1.3 billion in transactions, delivering a historical average of over 35% IRR with an average hold period of three and a half years. BAM Capital has consistently paid preferred return distributions for over 50 consecutive months, has not lost limited partners capital, and has not called capital past the subscription amount. Bam Capital's disciplined investment strategy is targeting undermanaged institutional quality trophy assets throughout the US heartland for accredited investors who are looking for generational wealth building or monthly income opportunities. Their offerings target cash flow stability, capital preservation, long-term appreciation, and accelerated tax benefits. Join BAM Capital's over 1,200 investors across 44 states and get started today at BAMCapital.com.
3: Again, that's BAMCapital.com. Scott Trench, welcome to Money Rehab.
0: Thank you, uh, Nicole. It's great to be here.
3: It's great to have you on the show. I came over to your podcast home, I suppose, and now I'm inviting you into mine.
0: Yeah. Thank you so much. I'm really excited. You guys have a wonderful show here and always learn a lot. So I'm excited to chat with you and learn some more and talk about some real estate potentially.
3: Let's do it. Uh, So let's show some love to first-time homebuyers right now, shall we? Because they're struggling, Scott. You know, cards on the table. It's not an easy time to buy a house. And even in more advantageous economic times or interest rate environments, buying a house is not for everyone. I have a whole checklist uh, that I say people should cross off before even thinking about buying a house. I won't go through the whole spiel with you, but basically, if you're going to live in it for a while... if you can afford it, if you have a steady job that you love, things like that. I want to hear from you, though. What are the guidelines that you give around whether folks are going to be in a good position to begin with to think about buying a house?
0: Yeah. So, you know, I I always start the home buying discussion with the concept of should you rent or buy, right? And right now, in most markets, in most parts of the country, it's cheaper to rent than buy uh, unless you plan to live in the house for a very, very long time and have very, very uh, long term horizon expectations. Um, And but in terms of if you are willing, if you are ready to buy, I think that those you know my checklist would be very similar to yours. It would include having a great credit score, having a steady stream of income um, that uh, is something you can borrow against, Uh, having a substantial amount of cash savings. I like to have the down payment plus all closing costs that you're going to pay in cash plus all anticipated repairs or maintenance you're gonna make shortly after closing, plus a 10 to $15,000 cash buffer. So yes, that's a, a pain in the rear to accumulate, but I think it's the responsible position going into that purchase. Notice, however, that I didn't say you need to have a 20% down payment. I'm fine with a 5% or if you're a military person, a 0% down payment uh, if you can use a VA loan, for example.
3: Oh, let's double click on that. Why is that?
0: Well, I I just think that, you know, first of all, it delays your purchase by so long if you have to save up 25%. And second, you know, in my position as a real estate investor, I like to use as little po- as possible down on a primary home purchase, or you know, in my case, a house hack or investment you know, property that I'm turning into a future estate investment. And that gives me more cash available for other investments. I also think it's more conservative, right? If you have a hundred grand and you're buying a $400,000 property, if you can put down 20,000 and have $80,000 in the bank, you've got $80,000 in cash to withstand any storms. Sure, your payment's a little higher on that mortgage, um, but that's a actually more conservative position than putting the entire $100,000 down or even close to that and um, having very little left over in your bank account. That's how you become house poor, um, which can make your house a, a chain or a trap instead of uh, the, the American dream that I think a lot of us make it out to be.
3: But then you're paying a lot more in interest overall. How do you balance that?
0: Yes, you're paying more in interest, but it's about what you can earn in other types of investments as well. So, for example, as a real estate investor, you know, even at a six or seven percent interest rate mortgage, I think I can earn a better return than that in other investments like the stock market and like uh, like additional rental properties. That was certainly more true, more obviously true, three or four years ago uh, with three or four percent more interest rate mortgages. And it's a little harder now. That six or seven percent is right in the bubble for a lot of people in terms of the types of returns they can get in other investments versus paying down their existing mortgage. But that's how generally I've approached it in my life to this point.
3: Yeah. I mean, right now we're in a totally different interest rate environment. So the arbitrage or like the area where you can profit from having a super low mortgage and then getting, you know, seven or 8% inflation adjusted in the stock market has narrowed a lot. So it, it's almost a wash if you have a 7% mortgage and you can get 7% in interest. Has it changed your calculus in this interest rate environment?
0: Yeah, I I, uh, hundred percent it's changed the calculus, and the way it's changed the calculus is it's made renting a more attractive option than buying in many markets for all but the longest, the people with the longest term horizons in terms of owning that property. So that is a a major issue here. The higher interest rates have changed the housing market in a number of ways. I don't know if you guys have talked about the lock-in effect for a lot of homebuyers. Talk about it. So this is where, like, if you have a three percent, three and a half percent interest mortgage on your house. Um, from the last couple of years before rates started rising in 2022, you feel locked in. And you could you know, talk to a lot of um, your listeners here, and I bet you they'd say this, they're not planning to move. If you have a $500,000 house with a 3.5% interest rate mortgage, you're not selling that thing and moving down the block into a $600,000 house, even if it is an upgrade, um, because you're going to be paying twice as much in interest on that new mortgage. So that's why existing home sales are down dramatically year over year. Uh, in, in the housing market, and there's so low inventory. It's because of this lock-in effect. Um, otherwise, if this effect weren't happening, I think you'd be seeing significant declines in property values and prices because people would be obviously transacting at the same rate, and you can't afford the same amount of property at today's rates if there if there was enough inventory to go around. All
3: right. So you say that housing is an expense and not an investment though. So tell me more about why you think people... Should view housing not necessarily as an investment. I'm assuming out of the gate.
0: Yeah. So, so if if I have a car, right, my car is not an investment. It's gonna, you know, and the reason why people don't have a problem with this is because the cars typically depreciate in value. But a house costs you money to live in. You're gonna pay a mortgage. You got to pay property taxes. You got to maintain the property. And yes, while it typically holds its value with inflation over a long period of time, if you were to plot out your net worth based on whether you could live for free. In your parents basement or in a house that you own and have a mortgage on you will find that the house is going to decrease your net worth even though yes you are building equity relative to an alternative for example like renting what's fundamentally true and model it out yourself if you want to uh, is that the more house you buy whether that's renting or as a homeowner the less wealth you're going to have especially when you layer in the opportunity cost you have of investing the cash that's going towards your housing payment or your rent in things like the stock market or real estate investments. So that's why I classify housing as an expense. What do you you need in determining a liability other than the more you buy, the less wealthy you are and the, the higher the cash outlays to maintaining that lifestyle you have? So that's the first way to think about it. And then that enables us to think, okay, I'm going to change this from an investment decision to a cost benefit exercise. What is the least expensive way to live my preferred lifestyle? Is it renting or is it buying? And a few years ago, I would have said it's about a five to seven year breakeven point. If you're going to live in a place for less than five years in most parts of the country, it's better to rent than to buy. And by the way, you don't have to live in the property that more than five or seven years, you have to own the property for five to more than five to seven years to cover the transaction uh, costs with that. And if you're going to live or own the property for more than seven years, I think it's better to buy than to rent. I believe that with the rising interest rates in the last 18 months, that math is pushing things out to the 10, 12-year mark. So you got to be even more thoughtful about that buy versus rent decision in most markets in the country.
3: Yeah, because even when you look at listings, I mean, I love... Housing porn all day, every day. If you look at how much that house has appreciated over time, oftentimes it's not that much, depending on the area, of course. But then you have to, when you're looking at the history of what it traded for, oftentimes you can see that like you'll make much more in the stock market or. Different investments.
0: Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. And what a lot of people don't do is they say, oh, that house looks beautiful. It has all these things. They don't understand what that means for them a few years down the road, which is why I think you know, there's you got to think through what's called exit options whenever you buy any piece of real estate and especially your house. And there are three basic exit options for your typical homeowner in this country. One is you move into the property and you live there happily ever after. And too many people overweight that as the only option and and just kind of have that as their their standard assumption here the second exit option is that you hold the property and keep it as a rental right? Preferably, preferably, that's going to be a positively cash flowing rental where money is going into your pocket and you're not subsidizing your future tenants' housing costs by paying a mortgage or having expenses that are greater than their rent, which is how many uh, homeowners that turn their primary houses into rentals actually turn things out. And the third option is to sell the property and again, hopefully add a gain. And so the better you can maximize a happy a combination of those three options. And the sooner you can do that in your home buying experience, the better off you are, the more free you are, right? If you buy a house and within and you you do your numbers correctly and you finish the basement or add value to it in some way, it's worth more. Maybe it cash flows if you were to move out six months, a year later as a profitable rental, or maybe, and maybe you're happy to live there for as long as you want. That's the framework I think you should have going into your first home purchases. How do I maximize? happy choices in those three categories because a lot of people go in there and they only have one exit option live happily ever after and close my eyes and pray for continued appreciation so i can sell it at a gain and that's where you find yourself stuck in the same job that's where you find yourself in this trap that tens of millions of americans are in right now where they're locked in to their current housing situation and cannot move in a reasonable context can't take that job in the next city if it's a better opportunity but doesn't pay You know, enough to cover the new housing costs that they're going to have.
3: But, you know, you assume that exit option of renting it out and uh, being able to cover basis and all of that. It's a pain in the ass to do that. Like, it's hard to have renters. I think that somehow this has been glorified, this idea of like, I'm just going to, you know, I get my duplex and I'm going to rent half of it out or like I'm going to live in the ADU in the backyard and I'm going to rent out the house and it's going to be like rainbows and butterflies and the person's not going to suck and they're not going to have parties and they're not going to, you know, mess up the toilet. And like it changes your lifestyle completely. It's beyond like a cool TikTok of like, hey, I got like this rental property and it's paying for my sweet like yacht when I go to Dubai with my wife that somehow I'm getting all of these TikToks fed to me. Uh, It's hard in practice.
0: Absolutely. Where do you live right now?
3: I live in LA.
0: LA. And do you live in an apartment complex, a house? A house. A house. Okay. And how close are your neighbors? Soup's close. Soup's close. Okay, great. Do you like all your neighbors?
3: Um, I don't know all my neighbors, but the ones I know, I do like.
0: Okay, fair enough. Well, I, I haven't always liked all my neighbors, but I have generally been able to not have them continue being neighbors after a year if they behave poorly or cause problems in, in my life. And so I think that's the framework. Like That's how I'd reframe the decision discussion around like landlording. Yeah, it's obviously work. It's about the ROI of that work and the other tangible benefits that come, that come with it, right? So most people in this country, like when I started out uh, my investing journey, I was making $50,000 a year. And I bought a duplex for $240,000 in Denver. Can't can't do that anymore. That place rented for $1,150 on the other side, and I had a roommate for $5,50. So, if you're doing that math, that's $1,700 a month. $1,700 times 12 is what is that? That's uh, like about 20 grand in annual income. So, that's two fifths of my salary are going into this exercise. Obviously, it would have been better not to have tenants in my place and to have the whole place to myself and not have to worry about those problems. But I got paid 20 grand uh, in order to do that. And that was worthwhile to me. So today, fast forward to today, I run this real estate company. I've got a very good income. Life is good. My wife decides that she wants to move into one of our duplexes. And I'm a little bit resistant at first, you know, uh, because I want to go back to house hacking. I go back here and um, we have this big five bed, three bath duplex on each side. So it's a nice house.
3: You guys have your own separate side or what's happening?
0: We have our own separate side. Yes. And the other side pays twenty seven hundred dollars per month. And the mortgage on this property, I bought it two or three years ago, is thirty two hundred dollars. So, you know, every once in a while I got to interact with the tenants, you know, they let the lawn grow pretty high before uh, mowing it recently, you know, send a friendly reminder over there, please mow that thing. But, you know, on the other hand, I'm I'm living in this really nice place that's pretty big here in Denver for essentially $500 a month, plus, you know, the, the maintenance and utility fees for my side. So it's all in that perspective. Obviously it would be better to just pay $2,700 a month in rent and not have to deal with that. It's about how much benefit I'm getting in order to do that. So that's, I think the glorification, if you will, of this is when you do it right, if you go through the the hard work of educating yourself and how to find quality tenants that uh, have good credit scores, have good income, do your reference checks, you can still have problems, but you're a lot less likely to have those problems. And you're much more likely to have a quiet, peaceful existence with your neighbors that are, they share a wall with our property, but there's a, another house on the other side that is 40 feet away. So I actually see that person more because the way our infrastructure is uh, set up than I do the the tenants that I have living in, in next door to me.
3: Yeah, but you don't have to tell them to mow their lawn, right? Like you don't have to interact with them. They could be a-holes. they could not pay. They could squat. They could TP your house. They could like there's all sorts of things that people don't talk about. It could be it could have been the case, like when you were younger and had your duplex and had your roommate, like that you couldn't find a roommate or that you couldn't find a tenant or, you know, all of these things. And so I think sometimes we get colored by like the perfect case scenario. And oftentimes we don't talk about the variables can that can really suck. And by the way, you're running a big company. Scott how many employees do you have?
0: We have about 80 80 folks here
3: and a bunch of people report to you mm-hmm. you guys make a bunch of money. it's a big company and you're dealing with this dude's like lawn like that is opportunity cost for you making even more money. I,
0: I agree but I also like where I live and, and here's where I put it back to you I've had neighbors I haven't liked in the past so three years prior for the three years prior to this move that happened a couple months ago, I lived in a quadplex as a tenant nice place downtown in Denver, near one of our fancy parks, Wash Park. You know, I can say that I didn't always get along with some of the neighbors there. Unfortunately, not owning the rest of that quadplex, I couldn't tell them, go mow your lawn and please stop going through my stuff over here. Please don't do this stuff. Guess what? I own this duplex and so my tenants who have not caused any problems whatsoever there's literally there's the lawn grew a little high it's not even a big deal i just texted them to please mow it at some point right like if that was to repeat i'd have a little bit more control over that situation so i actually almost prefer that in my situation now i want to also stop rose coloring the the whole real estate investment process because you're absolutely right there's a pain and a price to getting into real estate investing that has to be paid and it's not really in the form of dollars and, and I would even say at this point, it's not really even an ongoing time spent managing the property. The price that you're talking about is paid upfront and it's in the form of hundreds of hours of self-education. And so I paid that price, right? I spent hundreds of hours listening to podcasts and reading books and meeting people in the real estate investing world to get this framework. And I paid that price when my time was worth $25 an hour, right? So that's a great investment for me. For Nicole, this is not a good investment, right? I I would encourage you not to invest in real estate. Like, why would you spend you you are this like super finance superstar, right? Why would you spend two hundred fifty hours learning about real estate investing to get into this to 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 buy a bunch of duplexes unless you had unless you you, you really wanted that that extra bit of return that spread that maybe you can get with leveraged real estate between the stock market over the next twenty years? Then I'd encourage you to do it. Um, there is some benefits to it. But I think a lot of high income earners don't like real estate investing for exactly the reasons you just described. The difference is once you've paid that price, especially if you can pay it early in life, you can reap the benefits for the next 50 years um, of your career. Uh, more or less. By the way, if you get into real estate without paying that price, you will pay the price later. You'll just do it in the context of major losses and huge yes. problems with tenants and lots of surprises. You'll call them disasters. I'll, I call them capital expenditures in my business. So
3: I think I also call them capex in my business too. It's however you want to spend it, you're going to have a price to pay sometime. And I think you and I can agree. It's better to pay that price early when the value of your time like on the open market, you can always get more money, you can't get more time, right? But when that value of your billable hours, because we all have them, is lower. So I think we can agree on that because I hear all the time from people who want to do this thing and think it's rose colored glasses, glorified investment properties, buy the house, you know, get the rental income. And they think that renting out their house and you can rent a cheaper spot and do all of this stuff is going to be net positive and that it's going to be a slam dunk. So I don't I'm really glad that we are finding this common ground because there is a place where it can really be a slam dunk. But having that education out of the gate is super important. I think that you might have a suggestion of where they can get that education.
0: I'm happy to, of course, plug bigger pockets. We've got, you know, <laughs> we we try to have a bunch of free content and stories that can talk about that stuff. But yeah, I think I think you should be if you're going to dabble in real estate or bigger pockets or any of those things to like, be prepared for the, you know, it doesn't have to be like an active like every day I'm spending four hours. But, you know, I listen to a podcast every single day on the way to and from work and while working out, I probably consumed. Four hundred hours of this stuff before buying my first property. Um, in addition to you know that plus the meeting of people attending you know mastermind groups, looking at properties and those types of things, and that's just not a reasonable investment for someone um, that's maybe making millions of dollars or several hundreds of thousands of dollars, unless they they plan to invest for a decade or two at least and really attempt to drive that net worth and that spread. Because again, that you have if you're going to do all that work, you have to believe that real estate is going to produce at least a little bit better of a return than an alternative like a stock market index fund or something that's totally passive and easy uh, in there. And that's what I fundamentally believe. And that's worked out so far. But that's the trade-off there.
3: But it's not a cheat code. Like you're going to spend time somewhere. Like whether, you know, for me, I just don't want to spend my time that way. I just don't like I'd rather be a passive investor, but, you know, you're going to spend your time dealing with tenants or you're going to spend your time likely or hopefully uh, on the education front. But don't do this just off of a TikTok that you watch.
0: Yeah, we see a lot of overnight successes in like 10 years through uh, of hustle, grind, sweat, saving Extreme frugality, moving into properties, fixing them up, and painting them and stuff on the weekends, and then we do see those folks emerge again as overnight. I'm saying that facetiously. Successes uh, in seven to ten years of this, you know, very consistent approach, and that's the power, right? If if you want, real estate is not your get rich quick mode. If you want to really become, you know, make tens of millions or hundreds of millions of dollars, start a business and go all out in that field. If you are already a high income earner and you want something totally passive, stick with stock market index funds. In fact, most of my personal dollars invested have been in index funds. I own more real estate because I've used leverage to purchase those real estate properties uh, in there. But I actually have put more personal, my personal dollars into index funds. And I've uh, mentioned this all the time on Pockets than I have into my real estate. That's given me a diversified portfolio that's pretty balanced because the real estate has done better. With the leverage than the index funds um, that I put money into. But that's completely consistent with, with with my philosophy. Real estate's this great sweet spot for somebody who wants to build a significant pile of wealth over a seven to 10 to 15 year period and have the tax advantages and have the cash flow from that. You can, you know, retire or come pretty darn close in 10 to 15 years if you make some reasonable bets, take some reasonable risks, and work pretty hard in this business. And that may not be quite as accessible from an index fund investment. So
1: this show is sponsored by Airbnb. And I really do mean that. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host.
2: Real estate investing is great, but for some, the tenant phone calls and clogged toilets aren't all that attractive. So how do you invest in real estate without getting your hands dirty? Invest for truly passive income with Pine Financial Group. Pine's mortgage fund offers an 8% preferred return and an attractive profit split What if I told you that I, Mindy Jensen, the queen of budgeting, the personal finance fanatic, with a tap. They'll even try to get you a refund for the last couple of months of wasted money and negotiate to lower your bills for you. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over $500 million in canceled subscriptions. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com bpmoney. That's rocketmoney.com bpmoney. rocketmoney.com bpmoney. Listen up, business owners. Here's some quick math. Fewer costs equals more profit. The problem? You're spending more than ever on operations, materials, deliveries, software, and more. So why not reduce your costs and headaches with NetSuite by Oracle? NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. NetSuite lives in the cloud, which means you can reduce IT costs with no hardware required. Cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because now you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. It makes sense that over 37,000 companies have already made the move to NetSuite. Don't let rising costs sink your business's growth. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one of a kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks head to netsuite.com slash bpmoney. That's
3: netsuite.com slash bpmoney.
2: NetSweet.com slash money.
3: I think you have a really measured outlook and a really realistic outlook on where the opportunities are and what some of the cautionary tales are. I mean, I've somehow gotten into the TikTok algorithm or the Instagram algorithm where I keep getting fed a bunch of this content around like investment property hacks, creating an LLC for each of the properties you buy, putting the LLC in Delaware or like getting the trust in the offshore account or like and then all these charts and flow charts and things like that. You're shaking your head.
0: Yeah. I mean, this, this is where like... Ugh. This is a really tactical item here, but the the LLC thing always ticks me off. If you listen to a and I'm I'm not gonna give legal advice. This is not a legal advice thing. This is just an illustrative example in a personal situation here. But like when I bought a house hack in 20, what was it, 2014, right? This duplex, right? Am I gonna put the thing in the LLC? Wait, what protect? I have nothing to protect. I'd saved up 20 grand in my whole life. There's no assets. In my life right all of my like my 12 grand i've eight grand in the bank account i have 12 grand in equity in this property and that's even wiped out because of the uh transaction costs someone would have to foreclose on me so am i going to put this thing in an llc even if i did put it in llc i wouldn't have any protection because i live in the property and manage it myself and so someone could pierce the corporate veil on this right after i moved out of the property i lived in the property for like the year prior pierce the corporate veil. I still self-manage the property, which I believe, by the way, many investors who earn below a certain amount should do for the early years. And then you shift it to property management and make it less uh, or more passive, but not totally passive uh, to your point in future years after that. Okay. And so like, when does that take place? Nowadays, I've put my properties into an LLC, I put them into one LLC uh, in there. I think that if you are not careful in this space and you let a lawyer scare you, a lawyer is going to make a great return on your real estate investing portfolio, potentially, uh, if you allow them to get, create, help you create a series LLC, which is what you're talking about, where you put each property in LLC, and then you strip the equity out into a parent LLC. And by the way, you can never touch or even, you know, I'm kidding. I'm kidding here. I'm getting facetious. You can never touch or even look at your properties uh, in that case, because you're going to be putting yourself at risk of piercing the corporate veil. Not the way I want to live my life. I like an insurance policy and a very simple LLC structure. Sure. I might be consuming more, uh, assuming a little bit more risk than other approaches, but that's also the great thing about bigger pockets is if you were to type this question into a forum, you'd get like 20 different investors given different opinions on this. And of course the lawyer scaring you and telling you exactly why I'm so wrong and why, uh, that LLC that equity protection is so important because of this case, this case, and this case. So Whew,
3: I think I I hit on some chord, Scott.
0: <laughs> oh, this is just, but this is okay. What you hit on is this is the this is what I was talking about earlier. This is the 400 hours of self-education or whatever it is that you need in order to get comfortable with this is I can now debate this topic with you reasonably intelligently. And if you can't, you're going to get sucked one way or the other by someone who may not have your best interests at heart. And so you have to come to your own conclusion in this. That's the chord you're hitting is there's a there's 30 things like that that you need to have an opinion on. Should you allow pets in your rentals? right? That's another one, you know, like this is just like one of a hundred different concepts I can get going on. Well, in Denver, yeah, you should, because you're going to have a way better quality tenant, in my opinion, uh, and way more applicants applying for your property, even though there are going to be some damages or some risks that you're going to assume from having those pets in the property. So there you go. This is this is just proving your point that this is not a passive thing that is for everybody. It's for somebody who is ready and willing to divert A little bit of nerd out to it like you can see probably i have
3: (laughs) we definitely get the nerd out vibes from you scott for sure so yes we're not giving any sort of legal advice like disclaimer understood uh but at what point should somebody think about buying their properties in llc's
0: look and this is a lawyer question right but like for me it was like i'm gonna put my properties into llc's and work through this concept of assets protection once i have assets to protect Right. So for me, that was several hundred thousand dollars in personal net worth and, you know, um, a, a career that was blossoming and looking promising where insurance alone doesn't necessarily cut it for some of those things. So,
3: okay, because I think what's happening right now is the TikTokification of this. And I think we're both agreeing that it can look really glorious and simple and like just get these different LLCs and then go, you know, hide your taxes in the Cayman Islands or Dubai or something like that. This is scary.
0: Then, if you do that, then you're getting a whole bunch of complexities that your lawyer and CPA may not be telling you about. It's like if you have five LLCs, in California, for example, you gotta pay an annual 800 fee bucks. for each one of those, right? And then you gotta file a tax return for each one of those LLCs. And if you miss your yeah. tax return filing, you gotta do it. So let's say that I'm a lawyer and CPA combo and I wanna take advantage of a five property investor, right, who's worth $700,000, $100,000 in five properties, 200,000 in their 401k. I might tell them, Go get a uh, form a series LLC here. We're gonna put five properties, and we're gonna have a sixth on top of that, right? Uh, I'm gonna charge you, you know, a thousand bucks, really good deal to set this thing up, and then every year for the next 20 years of your life, I'm then gonna charge you $2,500 to file your taxes for each one of these things, or $5,000 or whatever it is to file your taxes for each one of these things, and you have to pay that because I'm the one who knows all this stuff. I can still do it more efficiently, legitimately than the next person, and cheaply. And you're gonna be paying $800 times six now uh, for your six new entities that you've got here. By the way, never manage them, never do any of the work on those properties uh, and stay the heck away from them so that you can uh, get all the benefits of this protecting of not being able to pierce the corporate veil here. So you're going to need to use a property manager and pay 10%. I'm not saying that that is actually what would happen to many investors, but that is one way I'll scare you when you're talking to these lawyers and CPAs. Right. Think through it and be have a thoughtful approach. And nobody's going to look out for your assets like you are. And I think you need the opinions of a CPA, an insurance broker, a lawyer, and investor peers or mentors that can all give you that the help in constructing a practical framework. Because perfect LLC, a perfect Series LLC setup and protection like that has its own costs and risks.
3: I totally agree. I'd love to know why the insurer is part of the you know personal board of directors in this, why the insurance broker is part of the personal board of directors.
0: Typically, if you're setting up an LLC, a huge po- part of the reason for that is the liability protection, right? It's a limited liability company. It's literally why people set it up. So if asset protection is the game, then when we think about asset protection, we think about All of the things that we're doing from a business perspective, abiding by all the laws, right? Making sure that we don't run afoul of discrimination laws, making sure the property is habitable, it's code in our city, making sure uh, that, you know, and the LLC then protects your personal assets from lawsuits that might go against the business, right? Well, if you can protect those assets with an insurance policy just as well. Or as part of that overall strategy, I think your insurance program is a big part of that. That's why I think there's more to this than just the LLC and lawyers' input. There's also the tax angle, and there's also the insurance angle on this, and then there's how you conduct yourself in a general sense.
3: Smart. So we end all episodes, Scott, with a tip we can give listeners to take straight to the bank. What's your one piece of advice for wannabe homebuyers right now in this crazy market?
0: Can I give you a two-minute answer on this one? Sure can. Yeah. Okay. So in addition to thinking through the Uh, Exit options that we just articulated earlier. Uh, You need to set up a process for buying the home that puts the advantage in your court and not the seller's court. So bad process first. A bad process is my lease is expiring August 31st. Therefore, I need to go under contract and buy my home before August 1st. Now I've created an artificial timeline, and what's going to happen is you're gonna look at the market, you're gonna look at the properties, and at the last minute, a property's gonna come on the market, your agent's gonna be a hero, you're gonna go under contract, and you're probably gonna overpay, right? Better process here, say, my lease my lease is expiring August 31st. I'm going to pay my landlord 2 or 300 dollars a month more so I can go month to month. I'm going to extend my timeline indefinitely. I'm going to look at the past properties sold in my market. And I'm going to look into I'm going to narrow down my search with my criteria until I found 5 or 10 properties in the last 90 or 180 days that meet my criteria and I believe are good deals. Now I've defined a good deal. And if a property is coming on the, if there's five properties that sold in the last 90 days that were good deals, that means a new property is going to come on the market on average every two and a half weeks going forward. All the ones that are on the market currently are probably something wrong with them. They're, you know, overpriced. They got something wrong with them. They're in the wrong part of town. They're in the, they got at the wrong intersection. So know that when you look at the active listings. You're looking at the worst deals than what is actually sold recently most of the time
3: i always wonder that by the way i'm like what's wrong with this place it's been <laughs> it's been here too long
0: that's right you know and, and if you look at sold maybe there is one that's on the market that makes sense so anyways now that i've got my properties uh, that i know what a good deal looks like and i know that every two and a half weeks i go fishing right i wait until one of them hits the market and when it does i cancel my evening plans and i go look at that property with my agent and i'm prepared to make an offer that night or the next day I'm not making an instantaneous decision. I'm making a cool, calm, and collective decision once in advance. And I'm just reacting instantly so I can get my good deal. That's how you get a good deal in real estate investing um, and in buying your first home. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. And as always, I uh, would love feedback, ratings, or reviews on our podcast. So thank you so much. Bye bye. If you enjoyed today's episode, please give us a five star review on Spotify or Apple. And if you're looking for even more money content, feel free to visit our YouTube channel at youtubecom Money.
2: Bigger Pockets Money was created by Mindy Jensen and Scott Trench, produced by Kaylin Bennett, editing by Exodus Media, copywriting by Nate Weintraub. Lastly, a big thank you to the Bigger Pockets team for making this show possible.